Hi there, I'm Janet Quinlan, and this is Finding Joy in Motherhood, the podcast for women who are looking for practical tools and words of encouragement to create an orderly, joyful, faith and virtue-driven home. I'll share tips to create mindset shifts that change the way you discipline your children, love your husband, and enjoy your day. This podcast is about coaching women to be the best woman God is calling her to be. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, and welcome to episode 100, A Little About Me and a Q&A. So I am really kind of nervous because usually when I record a podcast, I have a pretty detailed outline and that gives me a lot of control, which you'll hear about a little more. But anyway, um, I don't have a detailed outline, so here we go. I thought that it would be important, maybe a little interesting for you to know about my life so you know why I say what I say and where I'm coming from. I met Michael, my husband, when I was a senior in college. I was at St. Mary's of Notre Dame and he was at Notre Dame. He was actually, he had gone through Notre Dame undergrad, but he was in his second year of law school. We met at senior bar and when I left with my girlfriend, I said to her, I think I'm going to marry that guy. And she's like, why don't you just see if you can get a date with him first? I'm like, no problem. Well, Michael and I had seen each other at Mass. So um, in college, I went to daily Mass at one of the guy's dorms because I kind of decided to kill two birds with one stone. And I would go to Mass and also get to know the good boys. And I would see Michael, but he was so shy that I thought he was just completely arrogant. And I was kind of a flirt, and he did not like that. (laughs) So we knew of each other for a couple of years before we finally met. And when we did meet, um, I think it's safe to say that we were both taken with each other. So we got engaged six weeks after we met. I know it's a terrible precedent to set for your children, but we did. Um, And actually, we waited two more weeks to make it sound like two months rather than (laughs) six weeks, which is kind of silly. But um, anyway, yep. So then we married uh, in July, which was just seven months after that. So that was a pretty fast um, engagement and it swept me away. It was really my first exposure to God's will. I am a very careful person and I consider things very carefully before I make a decision. And all of a sudden here was this young man and I knew it was God's will that I marry him. So that was actually the very first lesson I had in letting myself be swept away by God's will. So we went through law school. He went, he finished law school and um, we finally ended up moving back to St. Louis. We had a couple of years where we couldn't get pregnant and then we had six children in eight years. And then five years later, we had Matthew who just turned 21. We put the children in school, although I was a teacher. Um, I didn't actively teach. I was a stay-at-home mom. And at some point, we realized that it would be better to bring them home. Um, Many reasons. Uh, The older children were told that um, 
you know, they shouldn't raise their hand because they know the answers all the time and it makes people feel bad. And um, my kindergartner was told to bring a book because um, he would never be challenged. And, you know, it isn't that our children are, you know, brilliant geniuses, but we had a home where we were just always sort of challenging them to think and to be creative and to be curious. And for us, school just uh, stifled that in them. And I did not want to homeschool. I thought homeschoolers were freaks. (laughs) I did not want to do it. And my husband really encouraged me, but was patient with me. And I prayed a lot about it. And um, I really felt like God was calling me to homeschool, not so much for the children, but for me, because I needed that. I was a very, um, I don't know, like a sergeant, you know, the children got up at a certain time, they went to bed at a certain time, we did this, we did that, they did their chores, and, and I wasn't really joyful. I call it a managing motherhood and not a nurturing motherhood. And so part of the reason why I think God wanted me to homeschool was because he wanted to teach me to nurture in my motherhood. Yes, I had to manage, but I also needed to nurture And so we homeschooled, and it was the best and the hardest thing I ever did for my children. It's really hard. We homeschooled for 14 years, and we have, um, at the time, we had really excellent high schools here, Catholic high schools, and so our children went off to the Catholic high schools. So I homeschooled through eighth grade. But what I learned through that whole process was that God wanted me to learn what adverbs and adjectives were because my education didn't give me that. But really, he wanted me to learn virtues. Virtues that I needed to learn in order to really be happy. I needed to learn patience and generosity. And I needed to learn humility and tenderness and fortitude. And for me... A husband and seven children and homeschooling is where I learned those virtues. And I also had to learn the virtue to truly forgive and to ask for forgiveness. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what my homeschooling experience was about and really what my family life was about. Michael and I had to learn to make some serious choices. When we first met our second date, actually. We were walking around the lakes at Notre Dame, and he said, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, well, I was studying education, so I was going to be a teacher. But I said, well, I want to be a mom and have a zillion kids. And he said later, at the time, he knew then that I was the right one for him, because that's what he wanted. So a zillion for me was just more than three, so four or five. (laughs) But... I did want a large family. I wanted, I I just felt always that my vocation, my calling from God was to be a mom. And so we opened ourselves up to life. And we had those six children in eight years. And they were all C-sections. And I had some complications. And it was strongly suggested to me that I not get pregnant again um, out of 
you know, health concerns, serious health concerns. And five years later, I got pregnant again. And I was terrified, to be honest. And I went to my confessor and I just talked with him. And I said, you know, I am so afraid I'm going to die. And he just kind of laughed a little. And he said, I know your husband and God would not let you die. (laughs) So that gave me great confidence that, um, in fact, God was in control of all of this. So we just lived our life of homeschooling our children, raising the children. But early in that life, so Michael worked for a big fancy law firm and he had to make a decision because he was gone all the time. He was entertaining clients and he was working 80 hour weeks uh, to the point where my daughter asked one time um, if daddy had a bed at work uh, because they didn't see him a lot. We were living the high life. We were at all of the fancy country clubs in St. Louis, um, always invited to everything that was, you know, high-end, important. Um, but it was killing Michael's soul. It was, it was soul-sucking, really. And it was causing the two of us, at a time where we should become closer and closer in those first particularly first 10 years of marriage, we were being pulled apart. And so he decided, we decided to leave that. He was on the fast track to partner. He would have had a tremendous career ahead of him. Um, But we left, we walked away. At first he went to work uh, in-house for a company, but then even that was just too difficult. And so uh, he decided to have his own practice, which was great for him, very difficult for me. Remember, I'm a control freak. And so um, not knowing when income was going to be coming in was really difficult. We would have really big months, and then we would have months of nothing. Um, And that was really tough. And I learned to trust God because I knew that Michael needed to be happy in his career And this was the way he was going to be happy. And I had to trust that God was going to take care of him. So in raising of our children, we went through a lot of different things. And I'm just going to tell you this because I find it so interesting that we don't really think about what other people go through unless they come and tell us. I was on a a retreat many years ago with church. um, And it was an Acts retreat, if some of you have been on it. And um, I was I was just taken aback at the humility and oh I don't know the the sensitivity of the women who were talking about the things they have really dealt with serious serious things that you know I would see them on Sundays and have no awareness of all that they were dealing with. So I think it's important for you to know that my life has not been charmed. You know, in coaching, we learn that emotions are 50-50, right? Sometimes we're going to have great emotions and sometimes we're going to have emotions that are really difficult. It's important for you to know that we've had some real struggles. My marriage has not been perfect. My husband came from a family um, that had many, many struggles and he did not come out of that unscathed. 
and he's had to really work hard at being the man he's wanted to be. He said to me once that um, he always asked for humility and that he was sorry I had to be along for the journey. Um, because when people learn humility, it's usually through suffering. But what Michael didn't realize that through his suffering and my suffering, I became a better woman. And so I can see big picture later, which is always hard for us to see, right? We're always right in the middle of the suffering that we can't even imagine it's going to be any different. But many years later, I can look and see why God wanted me to take that cross and suffer with Michael because we are both better people and we both have a better connection, both with each other and with our Lord. So just a quick note, if you're in the midst of suffering, give it to God, trust him that he is teaching you something that you need to be happier in the end to be a better woman in the end. Okay, that was a very serious side note I didn't expect to get to, (laughs) but there we are. So Michael had stage three colon cancer that we had to get through. We had a son who had open heart surgery because he had a congenital heart murmur that we never heard. So it was kind of an urgent open heart surgery at, at 20 years old. I had another son who was misdiagnosed with neurofibromatosis. So at two years old, the pediatrician talked to me about elephantitis. And I was like, ah, so we had to get through that. We had joyful times and silly times. We had close family times and many, many moments of God's grace and his presence and all of his gifts. And as I mentioned before, I like to be in control. And God has consistently presented me with opportunities to show me that, in fact, I am not in control. (laughs) He and I keep having this power struggle, and he wins. And I'm learning. He will take care of me. I have a, a quote that I tell myself, actually a psalm, Be still and know that I am God. And that's what I tell myself over and over again. So... I used to play the organ, the flute, the guitar, the piano. I used to sing for weddings. I was in a band when I was in college. Um, Someone asked in the Q&As what my hobbies were. Well, actually, I used to have hobbies. Of course, sewing was a big hobby of mine since I was 10 years old, and I created a business out of it, and I'm now moved away from the business and uh, life coaching full-time. But really, my hobby is my family. With seven children and um, three in-law children uh, and almost 16 grandchildren, they take up a lot of my time. And I love them. I love them. That's my hobby. My ultimate mission, the reason why I have this podcast and the reason why I'm going to announce something in a second, is because I want to help change the trajectory of motherhood. I see this, you know, um, messy mom, this victim mom, this oppressed mom, and I just, I can't stand it. I want to help moms be emboldened in their motherhood. 
I want them to embrace true femininity, which means you're the leader of your family in virtue and in matters of the heart. I think husbands and wives both have leadership roles. Um, I defer to my husband when I need to, and he defers to me when he needs to. We can be this force to be reckoned with for our children and for all those around us. I want to bring St. Mother Teresa's message to every woman. If you want to change the world, go home and love your family. That's what I want all of us to do, because it is in loving our family that we can create change. And I believe St. Jose Maria Escriva's beautiful message that God gave to him, which is, we can find and live holiness right where we are, in the mundane and in the ordinary events of our day. Really loving, loving to the point of sacrifice, loving our family and leading them to Christ. You know, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. What's your cross? Often, it may be our husband, our relationship. It may be our children or one of them in particular. That's our cross. That's what we take up, sanctify it, and give it back as prayer to God. So in that vein, I wanted to tell you, I'm so excited about this. Um, I have been doing uh, private coaching, and I still am offering private coaching. If you want to sign up for a 30-minute free coaching session to see what coaching is all about, just email me at Janet at FindingJoyInMotherhood.com. And we can get together on a free 30-minute session, see if you like it. But I also offer six-week coaching packages. Those are one-on-one coaching where we speak specifically about what you're going through or a particular issue that you want to work through with someone else, someone who's a little further down the road, um, who may have some insights that sometimes we get so focused with blinders on that... Um, We can't see options. We can't see other ways to look at a particular problem that can help us. So anyway, I do have and will continue to have one-on-one coaching. But beginning November 1st, I'm going to be offering a program called Reimagine Motherhood. And it's going to be a group coaching program with a monthly class on a topic that's relevant to a woman's daily life. So we'll talk about navigating relationships, or we'll talk about how to make faith come alive in your life, how to teach your children to listen. We'll talk about creating systems and routines that make homekeeping easy. We'll talk about tools to set goals, how to implement them and achieve them. We'll talk about intimacy with your husband, exploring all aspects of intimacy with particular attention to concerns or questions about sexual intimacy. I'll teach a class each month on the topic, and then there'll be PDFs to help you explore the topic as it relates to your life. We'll have Q&A sessions in the month where you can come on and ask me a question and I can, um, I can answer the question. We'll have group coaching sessions, and we'll have a monthly breakout session each month where People can get to know each other. We'll have ways that we can share things that we have learned 
with each other to help us really embrace and enjoy our motherhood. And all this will be taking place on Zoom. Okay, I know there are a lot of women who really try to avoid the rabbit hole of social media. So I'm really thinking that all this is going to be taking place on Zoom. And if you can't come to any of the sessions, there'll be recordings that you can always watch. So that will be about learning practical tips, adding the mindset, adding a deep faith and a commitment to your end goal, which will equal a happy life. That's what the group coaching program will be all about. So you'll hear a lot more about it in the next couple of weeks, but I just wanted to let you know that's coming up. Okay, on to the Q&A. The first question is, what were some of the hardest things you had to give up in order to create the family culture you wanted? Okay, well, I mentioned earlier that um, we completely gave up the fast track, big time, fancy law career because that would have kept Michael away almost all the time. And we really wanted a close-knit family, and that was not happening when Daddy was gone all the time. So, um, yeah, that was the biggest thing, and it was really hard because, you know, going to all the fancy events are fun. And um, rubbing elbows with the elite, um, sometimes fun. At the time, it seemed fun anyway. But... We realized that 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 wasn't going to bring us to a place where we were able to embrace our values and um, it was going to really challenge our family life. So we gave that up and personally, my will and my selfishness, I had to give that up. Um, I know I'm still selfish at times, but, and I still like my will, but um, I really had to give that up in order to be the kind of woman I wanted to be, the kind of mother I wanted to be for my children. And we didn't socialize with friends as much. Um, We really spent our off time with our children. So we certainly did, you know, go out and see people, but it wasn't every weekend. All right. How did you manage or cope with the exhaustion of the early years, particularly after the birth of babies from the ages of four to six? Yeah, it's really hard, isn't it, when you're tired? And this is such an important thing for moms to get because often what we do with a moment we have free is we fill it. And I would strongly suggest don't fill it. The first thing I would really, really say to you is have all your children down for naps or quiet time in their rooms for a couple of hours every day. Now, I know I get moms say to me, oh, my child gave up a nap at one or two. And I would like to suggest, I don't know your children, of course, but sometimes they don't really give it up. They're just testing. And my test was you can not sleep, but you're staying in your room because I needed the break and they needed a break. If they weren't going to sleep, they could read books or they could play quietly with something, one thing. But I would usually take a nap then because it was so important for me to sleep. And also really managing, coping. Um, Yes, we're tired, but it's also our mindset, what we think about it. And if we think we can't do it, we can't. So I prayed a lot. Lord, give me the strength today. 
And, you know, I mentioned earlier that God really taught me many lessons about who was in control. And he really taught me that I needed to ask for him to help me, that I could not do this on my own. I needed to ask for his help. Okay, another question um, is about the parent-grandparent dynamic. And um, this uh, listener would like to know, how do you balance honoring your father and mother with setting needed boundaries with your children's grandparents? How do you handle situations when they don't respect your wishes and parenting decisions for your children? Okay, well, this would really depend on um, in what way they're not respecting your decisions. So um, just as a little story, my dad's parents, they would, when we would go to their house, they would give us whatever we wanted to eat. We could, you know, it was always pastries around. We could watch whatever we wanted on TV and we could go to bed anytime we wanted. On the other side, my mother's parents were, um, well, let's just say I got a lot from them (laughs) because my grandma was, um, she was very structured and our treat usually was a, a handful, a fistful of stick pretzels. And, you know, there was a, there was a bedtime and we would read. Um, I don't recall watching a lot of TV, but, you know, we were in bed by eight or whatever my mom had told her parents. So we had this real dichotomy between um, grandparents who were very lenient and grandparents who were not. And I think that my parents managed it in just understanding that we weren't going to die or be really harmed with either way, okay, with the very lenient way or with the strict way. But I will tell you the one thing is that my dad's parents, um, who lived in Chicago, they were Polish immigrants, and um, my grandpa worked extremely hard for everything he had. And there were some racial issues um, in the city of Chicago, and um, there was some language that my grandparents used. And I know that my parents told my grandparents that if they used any language that was um, prejudiced or not honoring people, that my parents would not allow us to come visit them. So it really depends on what the issues are about. And if they're moral issues or value issues, for instance, if you bring your children over to their house and they have the TV on all the time and there's all kinds of garbage all over the TV, if it's a question of your children losing their innocence or being exposed to something that is harmful, then I think you need to pray hard for your parents and stand your ground. And explain to them why. Loving them, but explaining to them. You can't control how they're going to react to you, but you can love them and be clear in your expectations. The next question is, if you could give the three most meaningful life lessons you would like to pass on to women in their motherhood, what would they be? All right, the first one is, you cannot do it well without a deep faith, without depending on God. And so that would require 
um, times of prayer in the day. It would require reading the New Testament and getting to know Jesus and seeing how he loved people because we're supposed to love like he loved. And it would require uh, a lot of humility in forgiving. Forgiving ourselves for when we make mistakes, forgiving our husbands when they make mistakes, and forgiving our children. That's just the first thing. Okay, the second thing is to pour yourself into your husband. You know, those children, they are loud and demanding. And so we tend to um, give our attention to the things that are loud and demanding, what seem urgent. But they're usually not urgent. And our husband, he'll just come along and he'll just do his thing. And we don't even see his needs because he doesn't voice them. So paying attention to our husband, seeing his needs, being compassionate, forgiving him for the mistakes he's going to make. Some of them are probably going to be really big mistakes. Many women have to forgive their husbands for things like pornography, some for infidelities, some for addictions. But it is in forgiving that we keep connected and we remain focused on the big goal. So pay attention to your husband's needs and pour yourself into him. And the last thing is to listen to your children. Really listen to them. So often we spend most of our time just talking at them, telling them what to do. Go do this. Go do that. How was your day? And they say, fine. And we let it go at that. Don't let it go at that. Start getting into the habit of saying, when I ask you a question, I don't know is not an answer. Or fine is not an answer. You might have to force your children. I say force. Really force your children to talk to you if they're not used to talking to you. Because you want them to feel comfortable talking to you. You want to be the first person they go to, but they won't if you haven't established the habit of listening to them. So listen to them. What specific things did you do to make your husband feel prioritized, cared for when he had lots of littles at home? What did putting him first look like? Well, the first thing is that when he came in the door after work, I stopped what I was doing and I went to greet him. And I gave him a kiss and a hug and I asked him how his day was. And very often, not always, but very often, my parents always did this. We would go up to our bedroom while he was changing and I would really listen to him. And the kids knew we were up there and it was dad's time. And I would also teach the children to go and run to daddy when he came home. So that when he walked into that home, he had his wife and his children greeting him like he was king of the castle. Because usually, all day long, our husbands are pushed down and beaten down and battered. And it's hard. It's hard to be out there. And so when he came home, I made sure he had my full attention and he had the attention of the children. Then we'd scatter the children off and we'd go up and I would listen to his day just for about 10 or 15 minutes. Another thing that I would do is to say in front of the children, I don't know, dad, what do you think? Because often the children will ask me a question because they've been listening to me all day long. And I want to make them see that his opinion matters. And so I would 
turn it to him and what do you think we should do? And then the children would understand that he was the one who was really going to be making the decision, along with me, of course, and usually Michael's decision was whatever your mom says, but I needed to honor him to help the children see that he was the head of the family. How do you handle a sassy 17-year-old who wants to wear a cut-off shirt or dress that's too tight or too short? Okay, well, this will really depend on what kind of relationship you have with her. So if you have had a relationship where you're not just mom, but you're friends with her, you just need to tell her that, you know, I am making the decision as your mother that this is not good for you. You're not seeing all of the consequences that can come from the way you dress. Maybe you don't understand that the way you dress sends messages to people. And most importantly, it is about honoring your body and recognizing that your body is sacred. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to dress in such a way so that we not only honor ourselves, but also that others will honor us. It might also be helpful to have your husband talk with her and help her see from a man's point of view what boys are thinking. Kids don't think that hormones are raging and that boys are looking at girls and it's a natural thing for them to go right to the sexual at 16, 17, 18 years old. It's biology. And while we train our sons not to do that, not all people train their sons not to do that. So sometimes it's helpful for the father to say, you know, you're my daughter, you're precious to me. And I don't want a boy leering at you because you're enticing him to. And then the final thing, and again, it depends on where you are with your children. But we established in our family that if you're living in our home and we're paying for everything that you have, if you're willing to give us that responsibility, then we also have the responsibility to teach you things you might not like. And one of them is the proper way to dress. Another is going to church. And if you don't like one of our decisions, you can't have everything else and just set that aside. We come as a package. If you want to be in our home, and you want us to take care of you and take care of all your needs, then we have the responsibility and the privilege to tell you what our expectations are of you. And we were very clear. There were a couple of instances in our family where we had to say, if you don't like that, you can move out because, you know, that's, that's your option. We're not going to pay for all the things you like and then back down on the things you don't like. We're going to teach you how to be responsible. The next question is, how do you handle a situation where you and your husband differ almost 180 degrees on how to handle a certain child's behavior? All right, this is really important and really serious, actually, because parents must be on the same page. They must be on the same page to give one unified message to the child. And if it's a matter of feeling like the way they discipline is going to be harmful to the child, 
that is really something you guys have to talk about. We have an obligation to come from a unified front. And that may mean that we have to be humble in approaching our spouse and having a real serious discussion about it. Maybe putting pros and cons on paper, seeing um, if what has been happening in the past is working, but understanding in the end that we have to make this work. As parents, we cannot give to our child two different options. For those who are a little more relaxed in their parenting skills, I would strongly suggest to you that children need guardrails. Without guardrails, they have this freedom that they don't know what to do with. They're not mature enough to to manage it. And so I would suggest that you consider bringing your guardrails in closer. And for those who are a little uh, too guardrailed, <laughs> I don't know what, they're, they're too strict, open up a little bit and see if by giving a little more freedom, that will help your child. But either way, parents, you must be unified. If this is something that you're really not working out and you want to come to coaching, I'm happy to coach you through it because it really is that important. Children who don't have unified parents are children who really can't form their conscience because they're not sure which direction to go. All right, the last question, and I left it to the end because I'm not going to answer it. (laughs) Well, actually, um, it's a great question, and I know that many women probably have this question. And it is, can you speak a little bit about intimacy with our husbands? We don't know what to do about this when we need help or have questions because it's kind of a taboo topic. What are reasonable expectations? Can we say no? What if we don't feel like being intimate a majority of the time? All right, now listen. This is a great question. And intimacy, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Marital intimacy, sexuality, it's such a small part of our 24 hours in the day, but it's such an important part of our connection with our husbands. And God in his infinite wisdom (laughs) has made men and women so different. Men, they could be in the mood all the time. Women we're so cyclical. Our cycle kind of tells us when we're in the mood. But it's important to really connect with our husband and discuss it with him, talk about it. Now, this is where I'm going to stop here, okay? Because this is something we're going to deal with in the paid membership. It's not comfortable for me to talk about this either, but I know that it's critical. And I know that women have questions. And when I was a young mom, I had a lot of questions that went unanswered. And I just feel like in the privacy of a membership, it would be the best way for me to discuss it. So stay tuned and you'll hear more about that. All right. Thank you so much for your questions. If I did not answer your question, thank you for posting it. And I am going to have another Q&A and it's not going to be a 200 episode I'm seeing that more and more people like Q&As, so I will be doing them periodically. 
Um, but thank you. And thank you for sharing all my friends in St. Louis and in, in Texas and in Ohio. Oh my gosh, you are sharing so much the podcast. Thank you so, so much. It's really the only way that people are going to hear about it. You know, social media, if you are in marriage and any hint of Christianity, they don't like to put your podcasts out. So I need you. I need you to share with friends and I'm so, so grateful. Thank you. Take care. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd subscribe, leave a review, and share with friends. Thank you. Have a great week.